After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside JJ Cooper. Hello, everybody. We'll be joined by Josh Norris here shortly. But, uh, JJ, we are past the midway point of uh, the minor league season, at least. We saw all-star games all around here at the BA office. I was at the California League game. You were at the South Atlantic League game. Josh was at the Carolina League game. And I think Josh has another all-star game in his future. Plus, we're going to have, obviously, the big one coming up, which is, is we're only two weeks away as we record this from the Futures game. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff coming up. JJ, I want to dive right in. The South Atlantic League this year, it's interesting. There's a couple first-round picks who maybe aren't having the best years on paper, but there's still talent in the league. You got to see it up close. Who and what stood out to you most from the South Atlantic League All-Star Game? So, uh, South Atlantic League Game, some years you have just, it's just overloaded with stars. Other years, not so much. Um, this year, I would say I would describe it as somewhere kind of in the middle of that. Uh, the pitching was down. I would say that, you know, Freddie Tarnock, the Braves right-hander, who really is working. Third-rounder? Uh, Third-rounder from a right, who really just converted to pitching. Uh, you know, got paid more than a third-rounder, but, you know, Converted to pitching as a high school senior, uh, shortstop before that, and he was probably the most impressive arm there. But the reality of it is, is that you just didn't see the velocity, you didn't see the the wipeout secondary, uh, you know, breaking balls that you that you've often seen in the Saturday League All Star Game. Um, you obviously see a mix usually, but Tarnock was probably the most impressive arm. The position players were a little bit more impressive, um, but even in those cases. The reality of it is, is you're talking about guys who, in most cases, are there are some top hundred prospects there, there are some top two hundred prospects there, but there was not really the. Uh, last year, I was at the Carolina League All Star Game and I was watching Eloy Jimenez. There, there was not an Eloy Jimenez at this game, um, but there were guys who did stand out. I'm, I've been very impressed already with the season that uh, Royals catcher Lexington, Locase Lexington catcher MJ Melendez is having. Um, Shown power, shown significant power. More impressive, really, at the Sally All-Star game was first inning, there's a, there's a throw home, the guy scores, but Melendez pops up, an extremely accurate you know, throw with Carey to second base, throws out the runner trying to go from first to second. A couple of innings later, try the back pick on a guy at first base, doesn't get him out, but again, it's, an, it's a, a plus arm. More, in a, more impressively, though, it was both of those throws. This throw also was a throw where the first baseman caught it, was making the tag. The throws had the accuracy that you really want to see, really more so even much, you know, as much as you want to see arm strength. Arm strength without accuracy doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, Chad Spanberger, who has been a, uh, probably one of the uh, best hitters in the league this year as far as power, is playing in Asheville, so there's, and he's a college guy. But. So, so I want to talk to you about Spanberger a little bit. I went out earlier this year mm-hmm. to see Asheville for three games against Columbia, and you're right, college guy, low A, and Asheville. It's a great combo and to right, go to numbers. You know, but at the same time, this is where seeing guys versus looking at them on paper can make a difference. You watch him, it's real, real, real big power. And I remember mm-hmm. watching it and talked to some, some evaluators there in April, and they mentioned, you know, whether or not, okay, he plays first base, you know, it's hard to be first base only on a bench, you might have to move to left field. But they saw a big leaguer. The left-handed mm-hmm. power was absolutely real. Put it in any ballpark, it's going to go. It's- 
for and any fans who've been to Greensboro, it he was hitting them over the net onto you know into the uh, uh, the building you know that's being built across the street. So you know it's interesting. I feel like the Rockies have a couple of those guys where you look at it on paper and it's easy to dismiss it. But you watch it, and, and it's real. Roberto Ramos, one level mm-hmm. above, similar deal. Uh, you know, older left-handed power bat and a ball, but he crushes. So, you know, Spanberg It'll be interesting power, to watch. There's some re- realness there. Um, just overall, uh, again, those I know those are the stats. Any final thoughts, just in general? I mean, again, overall, I would say that when we not the thing that was disappointing, to be honest, was is that um, one of the most interesting prospects in that in that league was not there. O'Neill Cruz, who I actually talked to scouts afterwards, like, well, how, how did O'Neill Cruz look? It's like, he wasn't there. And they're like, well, why wasn't he there? Which is, is a very good question because Cruz is having a very good year. He's hitting for average, fever power. And you can't forget him. He's a six foot six. some scouts say maybe six seven shortstop. Traded for a big league last year. Yeah. Former Dodgers prospect went to the Pirates in the uh, Tony Watson deal. So, and, it, and you're talking there. You're talking massive uh, power. You're talking a massive arm. You're talking about surprising speed. I mean, the comps you get on his body are more like compared to, you know, threes, twos and threes who play in the NBA, more so than, you know, comparing him to other shortstops because he's not comparable to other shortstops because there are no shortstops. And, again, no one really thinks he's going to play shortstop at six foot six or more. It's something about his athleticism that he's even right. able to, you know, move but well may, to maybe he, at any level. Maybe he can play third base long term, and if not – He's an above-average runner, you know, right? He's got to slow down probably. He's 19 right now. But right field isn't a, uh, uh, you know, out of the question by any stretch of the imagination. And he has the power to make that work. And, again, strikeout rate's gotten better this year. There's a lot of things to like there. Again, long ways away. It's the Sally League All-Star game. Everyone there is almost without fail a long way away. But it was fun to see it. And, again, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, a couple weeks we go to the Futures game, which is, takes that all-star game and amps it up to uh, uh, whole new levels beyond that. Absolutely. All right. Well, JJ, thank you so much for your insight. JJ's going to switch off now with Josh Norris, uh, tag in, tag out situation as one of our posters here attacks me. <laughs> uh, Tom Eshelman and Justin Garza have fallen, all, fallen on. For those of you who uh, have watched our Facebook lives, you'll see uh, really the great throwback uh, poster of uh, 70s style uniforms and hair. But Josh, you have been on the road a lot this year. You were at the Carolina League All-Star Game, one level above the South Atlantic League All-Stars. I want to just kind of get your feel for what you've seen, I, beyond just this game, but over the course of the year and then taking us into this game. Who have well, I mean, been the guys who have, who have really stood out to you as we're at the 70-75 game mark of the minor league season? Well, we, we'll, we'll start with that game. Um, the guy who really jumped at me from that game, who I really didn't come in I wouldn't say on at that point, was Joel Booker of high class A Winston-Salem. He started the game by taking White Sox prospect for those who don't know the affiliations. Right. Who he started the game by taking the 93 mile an hour fastball and hitting it probably 410 feet over left field. That'll work. That that was pretty good. He also shows off you know, above average to plus, maybe not even maybe even a little better speed in the outfield. He's got a whole mix of skills that are really intriguing and the big knock against him at this point is he's a little older. I think he's 24 years old and was at high A. But in uh, the offseason this year, he changed some stuff to his swing. He eliminated a bat wrap, and that's allowed him to make more consistent, loud contact. And in a system that's kind of stuffed with outfield guys, your Blake Rutherford, your Micah Rodolfos, your Luis Roberts, your guys like that, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody in there, but he's jumped out. Luis Gonzalez, too. 
he's jumped out and he made uh, a move to double A pretty recently. So that was a guy who was really interesting. And that's always a thing with, with these good systems we talk about. There's always the headline guys, but it goes beyond the top five, top six, top seven. You go back and look at old prospect handbooks, there's guys that are ranked 15th, 20th, 25th that end up helping the big league club, and it's important to have. I forgot about Eloy Jimenez, but only because I was only thinking of the lower-level guys. <laughs> That's where the glut was. Um, also in that game, the Nationals' second best, uh, one of their best prospects, uh, Carter Keyboom, showed off at the very end of the game, taking a ball and vaulting it over the left field wall as well. And, you know, Juan Soto's gotten the most headlines this year, and he deserves it because he's having... Uh, I think we ran the numbers the other day, me and Matt Eddy and, and J.J. Cooper. And if he retired today to go become a monk or coach basketball or something, he would have the fifth best season of any 19-year-old of all time. And I believe the four people in front of him are all Hall of Famers. So he's or going to be Hall of Famers. Yeah, he's, he might be. I don't remember if it's all, all Hall of Famers already or some are still eligible. Whatever. point is, he's real good, and he's, he did it without very much exposure in the minor leagues. Like, with a guy like Bryce Harper... We knew he was, um, he'd been hyped for some time. Juan Soto didn't have time to get hyped. Assuming he graduates uh, without going back to the minor leagues, and that seems very likely, he will only have been eligible for one top 20 list, and that was the GCL. A lot of injuries kind of took away his ability uh, to get enough games in, but he didn't need that many games to move up from low A to uh, the majors this year. He never spent more than a week in any city in the minor leagues this year, and that counts home ballparks. Um, <laughs> But we were talking about Carter Keyboom, and he was really good in that game, too. Obviously, a middle infielder with power and the ability to hit is always something you want. And like I said, Soto's overshadow him, but he's a really a guy who also had injury problems last year who you should be paying attention to if you're a Nats fan. Yeah, you know, those first-round high school uh, infielders that, you know, kind of go the latter half of the first round sometimes don't get, you know, the hypes of the guys who go top five, top ten. And Keyboom's interesting because you're right. He, you know, there is pedigree there. His brother's a big leap. Big leaguer, he's been good. His really brother seen, played at Clemson. You know, we've really seen him shoot up, and it's kind of to me it follows a similar parallel. Another first round, back of the first round, prep shortstop who, for different reasons, you know, we knew he might have it, you know, might be okay, but he's really taken the level this year. Is Gavin Lux, who I was out and seeing in the California League. You know, this was an individual who obviously you know who he is. You, but the reviews had always been lukewarm. The player he's come back to be this year, in all my you know travels, I've seen players who are better this year. But Gavin Lux is probably the number one guy I've seen this year who you go in with certain expectations for and you come out saying, this guy is way, way, way beyond what you've previously heard or seen. And it's interesting just seeing some of these, you know, these young kids, we forget they're 18. If they don't tear up the, you know, low A their first year out of high school, it's okay. They're still growing. They're still blossoming. In Keeboom's case, that was health. In Lux's case, it was, you know, making a swing adjustment and getting a little stronger. You know, Lux, it was a funny story about him. I did what I thought was a really good interview with him in Instructs or Spring Training. I don't remember which at this point. But, uh, and then I left my recorder in the hotel room, and I, I haven't seen it ever again. So we, um, we never got to do that story, but he came off as a really, really um, grounded, well, uh, well-spoken kid who did not seem like a high schooler, and I would have loved to have written a story about him if I were as well-rounded or as mature as he is. And so you can go on BaseballAmerica.com right now. I did a sit-down with him where the interview began about, you know, his improvements on the field, and then you notice his tattoo, and you talk to him, and, you know, he's playing with the memory of one of his high school friends who committed suicide. He has a tattoo to commemorate that, but he talked a lot about, you know, 
helping keep him grounded. And you know, he does some some work with suicide prevention back in his home state. I mean, you're right. This was it really stood out to you just um, his perspectives on everything. Baseball life were well beyond what most people have at age 20, and he's taken it to help him in the field. You know, when he was struggling last year, he understands what real life and death is. It's not. Uh, you know, 0 for 4 isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. You have that perspective, sadly. And you're right. You talk about someone who, who gets it. He's smart. He's mature. And he's grown so much on the field as well as off the field. And he's the leader of that Rancho Cucamonga team at age 20. Uh, and it's just really impressive to see. So I think, you know, it's just interesting to see these the young high school kids, again, year two, year three of their career. It's, it's okay, everyone, if that first year in low A, it, it's not great for different reasons. And uh, it's been impressive to see these these two young players in Kibu and Lux blossom. We put out our midseason top hundred today. Uh, Kibu shot up quite a ways. Lux is in it for the first time, and it's pretty consistent. You know, it's not just our looks. Uh, speaking with evaluators, Kibu consistently comes up as that player, and then Lux as well. You know, talking to evaluators throughout the California League who've seen him throughout this year, it was he. They felt he was the best position player prospect of the four teams in the South until Joe Adele arrived, who uh, we can talk about a little later in this podcast. I got a comp on Mr. Adele this morning or yesterday. Um, Tory Hunter was a guy who came up. The one, that's not the, a bad little outcome. Not at all. I think the one for me that I actually thought a little more about was Vernon Wells. If you go back and look at their primes, and Angels fans aren't going to want to hear that because Vernon Wells was not very good for them. But if you go back and look at their primes, Wells had a little more pop, a little more pure power. And to me, I think the type of seasons that Vernon Wells put up in his prime, 280 with 30 bombs, that's something Joe Adele can do. Yeah, I'm just trying to think about those two guys. I don't. I feel like I haven't seen Adele in person in a while, but the Wells was a thicker guy. And Adele is going to be. Adele's a very physically strong, cut-up guy who is... Oh, right. I'm not saying Adele isn't strong. It's just a different body, like a Frank Thomas type body, where it's... it's Wells was thick. more thick, yeah. but regardless, the overall point is we're talking about two perennial all-star center fielders right. who won gold gloves and were capable of hitting 30 bombs and were you know MVP top five finishers in their primes. I have to be honest, Josh, this was the best. Now, again, I, spent, I saw Eloy and Kopech you know, last week, but up, up until that point, Joe Adele is the best prospect I've seen this year He's one of the best I've seen in a long time. Um, this is a truly special individual. And again, you talk about, you know, mature, grounded, gets it, perspective, understands the game. It's all there with him, too. Um, a year out of high school, the first first rounder from the 2017 class to reach high A. He's hitting 340 with 10 bombs through 33 games, playing in a pitcher's park at Inland Empire. Yes, there are pitcher's parks in the Cal League. And everything works, you know. Obviously, there's things to improve. Um, you know, approach, swing path, just like any 19-year-old, there's little adjustments to be made. You know, center field, uh, the athleticism's there, the instincts, again, things that come with reps, but it's all there. Yeah, I haven't gotten to see him much. Um, I saw him at Tournament of Stars, whatever year he was, the workout day, and when you're filming batting practice, you're really not paying attention to where the ball's going, you're making sure the batter stays in the frame and that you don't get hit by a ball. Um, and then it instructs Which Josh knows about. You yeah, I have a nice little a tiny scar on my upper lip from Lourdes Guriel. Um, and then I t- saw him a little bit in instructs last year, but he only played like three innings and then left. But he was really fun to talk to still, and you, you, you kind of got it. I remember I talked to him about 
he was at his workout for the Angels, and Mike Trout was injured at the time and was watching him from behind the uh, the plate. And you know how much pressure that is with you know Mike Trout of all people watching you, and just comes off as a really uh, again uh, a guy who gets it. One of the, my biggest impression from Joe Adele when I came out of him out of there was nothing about him is 19. His skill set, physicality, again, just you speak to him, you talk to him, and he gets it. Um, but and then you talk about the greats. The greats are always beyond their years. But you say nothing about him is 19. That's even there's a lot of good 19 year olds now. <laughs> that is very very true. That is very very true. Again, a testament to him and his talent level. Um, you know, which I kind of want to spin off. Joe Adele was not in, uh, not a California League All-Star because he had been there for about 15, 20 games at the time. Um, but it was interesting. You know, I, I think we talked about the Carolina League, the high A. You know, I, I do want to ask, you've been really, you know, out and about in the Carolina League this year. How would you assess the talent of it this year? And who for you ha- have been the guys that stand out beyond just the All-Star game? I mean, Keston Hura was pretty good. Um... Not when I saw him, but he right, I up. went and saw him and talked to him, and then he took off. Yeah, yeah. I also <laughs> Dr. Glazer in the house. You're welcome, Brewers fans. Wow. Um, I saw <laughs> him when it was about 40 degrees, so that was a problem. Yeah, coming from Valencia and UC Irvine, you're not used to playing 40 degree weather. I don't care where you are. You're not used to playing 40 degree weather. Um, but uh, he was pretty good. Who else have I seen that I I liked? Um, well, Jonathan Hernandez. Jonathan Hernandez. Yes, there you go. And Anderson Tejeda, I like a lot. On that team, I mean, you don't see too many shortstops. The Rangers' kind of power. system is definitely down, but you, you know, Lily Tavares has been number one overall prospect before. Willie Calhoun's struggling with his approach, but he's got the pedigree. But you start to see some of these lower-level guys start to take that next step in a Jonathan Hernandez and an Anderson Tejeda. And a Leody Tavares, who I still like the tools. The results aren't quite there yet, but again, with Tejeda, uh, big, big arm. Seems like he can stick a shortstop. Big, big power. Those two things you really would like. You like a powerful shortstop with with a uh, throwing arm. Um, those guys are really fun. Um, I saw Christian Javier at Bowie's Creek, and he was pretty interesting. The Astros keep turning up. You know, the Astros Latin American scouting program has done an incredible job of finding arms for years and years and years and years. They really have. And it was it. It was interesting. Like I wanted to talk to him, but it was a getaway day, and a, a guy that the coaching staff would have seen once, so it would have been. Very um, difficult interview, but a guy with a really good changeup that he really loved, and you know was using it to just destroy uh, high class A hitters. I believe he has his ERA right now is .5, so I mean there's room for improvement, but it's pretty <laughs> darn good. <laughs> no question about it. You know it's interesting because the Astros, look there you have the best pitching staff in the American League. They're the defending World Series champion. They're you know. The Mariners are staying with them, so even if they don't win the AL West, there's a reasonable assumption they'll be in the postseason again this year. It's going to be interesting to see what they choose to do because we saw last year they didn't make an enormous move at the July 31st deadline. They waited until August, and then Justin Berlander was a pretty big one. Yeah, um, but this year, so. this year, you know, the team's a little more well-rounded, but the bullpen is a problem, and because they have so many good young arms – Look, we know the Astros are not going to part with Forrest Whitley for pretty much anyone. I mean, if you know they got Aaron Judge, sure, or Mike Trout, sure. But I they're mean, very weird trade. They're not going. No, neither yeah. team would do that. But you get my point. Like they're not. That's not the type of guy they're going to trade for a complimentary piece. But you go down the list. You mentioned the Christian Javier's, the Jorge Alcalas. There's an interesting group of arms that you can still pull from 
to land, you know. They just brought up Cedar Perez today. And relief help is what they need because Ken Giles, even though it's gotten a little better since he punched himself in the face, um, it's tough to, you know, really rely on everything that ha with everything that's happened. Chris Davinsky's very, very good, but again, there's no question the Astros could use some bullpen help. I'm going to be curious to see, uh, you know, Boys Creek was a popular destination for opposing team scouts last year when Forrest Whitley was around. Um, again, it'll be very interesting to see just what the Astros choose to do because I think they do have the arms to go get someone, and, and you've seen them. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen some of the guys I want. Um, I don't think I've gotten off a lot this year. Um, Hector Perez is another I one. I haven't gotten him this year. Okay. He, I, they're tricky because they piggyback start, so... I never quite know which because I never quite know which guy is going which because they obviously don't announce the piggyback guy. Right. So um, I haven't seen him, but I know from reputation that both those guys throw gas. And if you want guys who can throw 98 to 100 and maybe even a little more, I think Alcala's been up to 102. Uh, you can get those. You can go get those guys. Javier wouldn't really fit in that category, but maybe you break in a guy like Whitley in a a guy like Whitley in a relief role. You'd uh, be like a David Price is a low these many years ago. And Kyle, they're not a reliever, but Kyle Tucker might be a good deadline acquisition too if you need him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because uh, the Astros uh, aren't always, definitely not hurting for, uh, for offensive production. They have bodies, but Kyle Tucker's breaking the AAA. The, the Astros are in a good place right now. Um, you know, it's interesting, speak of teams in a good place, the Dodgers got hit hard with injuries. And they brought up a lot of their prospect depth, and then some of those guys got hurt, the Dennis Santanas of the world, the Walker Buellers of the world. I do think, though, amazingly, they weathered it all. They are back above 500. they They're right in position for both the NL West, uh, even though the Diamondbacks are staying strong, the Dodgers are on their, on their tails. And you go down and see some of the prospect talent they have, you know, Alex Verdugo in AAA. They, Andrew Toll is no longer technically a prospect. He's still down AAA as well. You have Cabert Reese in double A. You have a group of arms. We saw Santana come up, Caleb Ferguson come up. You know, if Yadier Alvarez comes back from a groin injury, maybe, you know, he's someone who you can bring up as a, as a late-inning relief type. Uh, Mitchell White's rounding back into form. So it's interesting. The Dodgers and Astros, the two World Series teams from last year, I think have two National League Championship Series teams. Oh, Dodgers and Astros. Astros. Dodgers oh, and Astros. I'm, I'm, I'm in I'm in thinking, the, thinking of the Cubs? No, I'm thinking the Astros are still in the National League. I'm still okay. in that. <laughs> okay. Um, it's interesting because there's talent there, and, and, and you've seen a lot of Boys Creek. I saw a good chunk of Ranch Cucamonga where, again, you have Gavin Lux. You have a riser like a Ryland Bannon. You have Dustin May who went from 89 to 92 to 93-96 this year. What you always hope for with those tall, skinny pitchers that they grow into velocity. With the red hair. With the red hair and uh, a newly found cutter as well. So... I think it's going to be interesting to see. Um, obviously, the Dodgers need a little more help than the Astros do, given their relative place in the standings and their disabled list, uh, how long it looks. And obviously, Manny Machado has been rumored to the Dodgers. They have the pieces to do that if they want. In the past, they've been reluctant to shell out you know, multiple top prospects. But, you know, 30-year anniversary in 1988, they're still sour after losing Game 7 last year. We'll see if the dynamic changes at all. But I think it'll be fascinating to see. And... and I, what I've seen in the last few years at Rancho, what you've seen the last couple of years at Boys Creek, both these teams have the prospects to make a move now if they wanted. Right. I mean, I think Whitley. I think Whitley was the best pitcher I saw all last year, and I'm not sure it was close. Um, last year was a blur at this point, but he was freak nasty the day I saw him. But I want to pivot a little bit here. On a scale of one to I just won the lottery, 
How excited are you that Williams Astudio is in the major leagues now? Uh, I don't know if excited or but you know we watched him earlier this year and I'm watching him hit. I'm like I know it looks funny. You know, short. He's chubby. People are gonna look at him a certain way. But you watch him. The dude can really, 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 really hit. Like it was completely 100% legitimate. That his bat is better than a lot of backup catchers' bats in the major leagues. So I am more on the line of. I like it when guys who deserve to get the call get the call. Not because they were once picked somewhere, not because they look a certain way. There's certain teams you, you see them call guys up who don't deserve it, but because they're a pedigree, they call them up. Williams' studio, he deserves it. He has the potential to hit major league pitching. Now, not 162 games, you know, 500, 600 at bats a year, but 200 at bats a year? Yeah, he'll get on base and he'll hit better than a lot of backup catchers in, in the league right now. I'm not that bullish on his actual ability, but I I think he has the ability to make contact better than almost anybody you can find. The man does not strike out. The man does not walk. There is not a pitch in baseball he is not afraid to, that he will lay off of. Uh, he is up there to swing and swing for but at it, every but pitch. Again, it's quality contact. It's hard line drives into the outfield. It's Sometimes. not over the fence. Not home runs. But I'll take a guy, backup catcher, who consistently puts the bat on the ball and lines it hard. I will say this. There is a reason the first five letters of his name spell a stud. <laughs> the Josh Norris humor, everybody. Here you go. You'll be here all week? Uh, no, well, it's Friday, so I was here all week. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You talk about the best pitchers. Uh, you saw last year's Forrest Whitley. We just saw Michael Kopak. I want to ask for you, A, the first question, A, who is the best pitcher you've seen this year, and B, where it relates to Michael Kopech? You know, I'm not sure of my answer on the best pitcher of uh, all year, quite frankly. Dylan Cease is up there. Dylan Cease I've seen three different times, and I think I've seen three different guys. The first time, it was really cold, and it was about, probably the same series I saw casting. It was definitely the same series I saw casting Hero, um, and you could see the potential. You could see the fastball. It was obviously huge. You can see the curveball. It wasn't as good as the third time. The second time, I jinxed it, like I seem to do all the time with that Winston-Salem team. If you're a Dash fan or a White Sox fan, you do not want me at your game because those guys do not hit when I watch them. <laughs> it is a proven fact. You're uh, the Ronaldo Lopez at Kirsten Hughes in the White Sox system. Whenever you want to see Ronaldo Lopez, he'd blow up. Oh, I'm sorry, Nash, he was national system. I'm sorry. Yes, that was I, was I don't remember seeing him there. You're right, correct. My um, yep. Oh, no, that's not true at all. I saw Ronaldo Lopez plenty good at, at I thought Hagerstown. you always said you never saw Ronaldo Lopez good. I thought no, no, that was your thing. No, no. Okay. So I'm confusing you with the other Josh Norris, your evil twin. Well, I did, first of all, there is another Josh Norris. He NFL writes about an NFL writer, and he went yeah. to Elon. So it's kind of weird. But, but anyway, anyway, continue with the dash. Uh, the dash. Dylan sees The third time you saw him, it was really good. You made He made three mistakes. Unfortunately, they all got hit for home runs. It's not what you want, but he got enough run support that day that it didn't super matter. Uh, but 98, I think, on his last pitch of the day in seven innings, and I heard 98 in the eighth inning, his next start. So the fastball's there. Uh, it's got some really good ride up in the zone. The curveball is a plus pitch or better. Um, the changeup's coming along. The slider is too. And if one of those comes along a little bit more, you have a guy who's a major league starter and probably a mid-rotation version. This guy could be really, really, really good. It's elite velocity and an elite curveball. And when you start with those two pitches, you've got something. 
And I think what's important for Dylan Cease is the durability. Tommy John out of high school, a little bit of concern with reliever. And some of that's his, you know, his profile in terms of it's a two-pitch guy. But you saw him hold 98 into his 95th pitch. If you can hold the velocity, hold your control while you do it, it starts looking a lot better. Yep. Um, so are you going to ask me the same question? Best pitcher I saw this year? I think you, you just, should. If you just did. Set me up. All right. Uh, Kyle. Give me the hanging curveball. Kyle, who is the best pitcher you've seen this year at a baseball in the minor leagues? You know, uh, I've seen Michael Kopech, seen Michelle Baez, seen Chris Paddock. So well, the best pitcher I saw this year, uh, who was technically prospect eligible, was Shohei Otani you know, when I was in Anaheim. But skipping that in the minor leagues again, seen Kopech. By the way, Shohei Otani is still prospect eligible, technically. So we've seen, obviously, seen Kopech, seen Baez, seen Paddock, seen Jonathan Hernandez, seen a whole bunch of guys. The answer to me is actually not that hard. Now, I'm not saying I'd rank him ahead of someone on the top 100, but the best pitcher I've seen this year was Griffin Canning, and it wasn't close compared to the other guys. That's the guy that had the velocity and he held it, 93-97, while also showing you a curveball and a slider that were absolutely ridiculous pitches. He landed to both sides of the plate. Oh, by the way, he has a changeup that he's barely had to use, but when he does do it, he gets ugly swings and misses over the top. You know, we talk about Kopech with his elite velocity, but the secondaries aren't quite there yet. Baez, everything has taken a step back because he's lost his mechanics, he's throwing across his body, lost his direction to play. You know, Paddock, you have the fastball commit with command and the changeup that's 90-93, he'll reach back for a five, plays up with command and a really good changeup, but still spinning the ball is something that's a big work in progress. Jonathan Hernandez did some good things, but, but Griffin Canning, it's, 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 it's special. There's a reason he was in high and then double, he's in triple A by June, and the way things are going, he might be in the majors by August. Um, the, mo the interesting comparison is Trevor Bauer, another former UCLA guy, he's a little bit slider body, and where you get that is big fastball, the hammer curveball that draws plus to plus plus grades. The fastball command's a little bit scattered. He's never gonna be a guy who just pinpoints it. But we've seen Trevor Bauer, you know, his first couple of years, as he was still figuring some things out, was a solid, solid average starter in the league. And now he's really blossomed in his fifth year, fifth, sixth year in the majors, where he's got a sub three ERA and is pitching more like the ace he was projected to be out of UCLA. I think the Angels have something very special in Griffin Canning. Um, and again, am I going to sit here and state definitively Griffin Canning should be ahead of Michael Kopech on the top 100? No. Kopech, you have a longer track record. You know, Canning. But the velocities are similar. I mean, everyone talks about Kopech's big arm, big arm, big arm. What Kopech pitches in a game with, not a futures game where he's throwing 100, pitches in a physical baseball game. It's 95 to 97. Canning's 94, 96, and he shows I mean, you a bunch of 7s and 8s. Kopech's been up to 103 in games. Again, and he's really, really good. But I'm talking when, you, when you're pitching, not when you're just throwing, you know. But in regular games. But now what he's doing, which again, Still elite velocity. He's a great pitcher. And I think right now, yes, you obviously have Michael Kopech ahead of Griffin Canning in the top 100. There's no question about it. It's just been re it was really eye-opening to me to see Griffin Canning earlier this year and just how he's come back. We'll see. There's a lot a lot of season left. You know, again, we just hit the halfway point. Futures game is coming up. Josh, you've got a couple trips planned. I want to ask, looking forward now, what are some of the biggest storylines, prospects, things you're going to be looking forward to seeing here the second, year, second half of the minor league season? So, uh, after we get done with the college national team here uh, next week or so, I am headed to the Eastern League All-Star Game. Uh, probably going to mix a couple Staten Island games in there, too, just because 
the first day I get there, the entire Eastern League happens to be off, but that's when flights happen to be, yada, yada, yada. So I'll go see the SI Yanks, um, and I think that would be Brooklyn that day. Then the Eastern League All-Star Game, they had their rosters come out today. They've got this Tebow fella on them who, let's be fair, is deserving of an All-Star bid in the All-Star in the league. And Keegan Lowe and I just figured out if they promote him after the All-Star Game at any point, he goes to Las Vegas. He will spend his 31st birthday in Fresno on Taco Tuesday. <laughs> so he will get to play against the Fresno Tacos. Get ready right now, Fresno promotional team. You're one of the best in baseball for a reason. Start your engines. Anyway. Are you going to be flying in uh, to, uh, to Fresno for that one? No, California. I'm not allowed in California. What did you do in my home state? I, I can't say it on, on this podcast, but it was bad. Anyway, <clears throat> they have, uh, who else is in, the, in that roster? We've got, I think, Ryan Mountcastle's on that roster. He's going to be interesting to see. Um, I am blanking on a lot of guys on that roster, but I know I, I, oh, on that roster. Kevin Biggio's on that roster. There's a guy who's interesting. He certainly doesn't get the uh, ink that Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Vladdy made it too, but he's not going to be able to play it for obvious reasons. Um, I'm interested to see Injured Kevin. knee for those who don't know. Right, Kevin Biggio. Uh, will be there. Um, those guys will be interesting. And then from there, we go to the Futures game, which uh, those rosters will have some prospects on them, I imagine. Just a couple. Just a couple. Um, and then from there, we get the fun part. Then we go to find um, the next Futures game. We go to the Florida State League, and we go to the Gulf Coast League. And Lord knows what you find in the Gulf Coast League. High school first-rounders, dudes throwing 100 miles an hour, Tool sheds. Guys coming fresh out from the DSL who were, you know, top international prospects a year or two mm -hmm. ago. See that the U.S. debut? Sure. Um, probably the Rays will probably have a bunch of their guys down there um, in Port Charlotte, like your Matthew Liberators and guys like that. Um, I want to see Rudzer Gratterall. I think I got that right because I know he just got promoted to Fort Cedar Myers. Not Cedar Rapids, but Fort Myers, yes. And Matt Manning just got promoted to Lakeland, and as it happens when I get down there, Fort Myers is playing Lakeland, so that'll be fun. Um, I want to see Jorge Guzman, who is in Bradenton, or he will be in Bradenton with his Jupiter team. There's some other guys in that he Jupiter. He started team. to turn around. He had more walks and strikeouts a lot of this year, but he's really, really clicked here over the last month or so. Yeah, and he's got you know obviously big, big, big velocity, and you know you want to see that. Um, just a couple other guys around the league who will be interesting too, but I'm those are the three guys I'm really looking for. Oh, Alex Kirilov on Fort Myers as well uh, comes to mind. Jared Oliva on on Bradenton is a guy I want to see. I'm sure there's other guys that I will come up with later who I want to see, but Florida is fun for me. I'll be on both coasts and probably up and down the West Coast over the course of a week, and you know, I love the GCL more than most people do. You sit there, it's 1 a.m. or 1 p.m., you got a towel around your neck, and you're watching, just trying to find the biggest tool sheds on the field and see the next guy. Who, that's where you get a guy like Jonathan Loisiga, who's up in the, with the Yankees right now, you know, in the middle of their rotation out of nowhere. That's where, you know, I don't think it was the GCL, that's where I first saw Luis Severino in that kind of setting, and you could easily see he was pretty darn good. Uh, I saw a guy last year with the Phillies named Manuel Silva, who I think is going to be something. But, you know, you see all sorts of interesting guys who might flame out in two years or might be all-stars in three. So it's one of the most fun things I get to do all year. That's Josh's uh, fun. My fun is uh, after the Futures game. I'll, so you can follow Josh for the GCL, the, the lowest level stuff. You can follow me for the highest level stuff. Also, I'll have full coverage of the Home Run Derby, the All-Star game. See all the guys who were once prospects that are now raking in the major leagues. 
Uh, I've also got the Hall of Fame inductions, so we'll see, you know, lots of good stuff on Trevor Hoffman, Chipper Jones, Jim Tomei, Vlad Guerrero. It's a really, really incredible class going in, as well as Jack Morris and Alan Trammell, Tigers greats. Uh, and then just keep it here at Baseball America for the rest of the year. We're going to have trade deadline stuff. Um, we'll have, you know, all sorts of coverage, both, you know, again, Josh will have all the stuff, the lowest levels. I'll have a lot of the higher level stuff, including what's going on in the majors. And uh, we've got our midseason top 100 update that came out. Plus, July 2 is right, right around the corner. Midseason top 10s are coming up. It's a good time at Baseball America. You know, we've gotten past the draft, the College World Series wrapped up. Now it's all pro baseball all the time. Yep. Um, I think that's pretty much it for the day. We got uh, college national team tonight. And then there's this thing called a weekend. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is at this point, but I'm, I'm about to find out. Sounds good. All right, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Baseball America podcast. For Josh Norris and J.J. Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.